Well, it's good to be with you this morning. My name is Father Josh Waltz. I'm the vocation director for the Diocese of Bismarck. And Father Leffer has graciously allowed me to come up once a semester and preach. He asked me to come more, but <laughs> and it would be great, but it's just not possible. So I'm glad to be here. And such a beautiful feast day. You know, some days there's nothing to preach on. Some days there's a little to preach on. And some days there's so much to preach on you don't really know what to say. And that's today. Because not only do we have Divine Mercy Sunday, it's the final day of the octave of Easter, and it's the canonization of Pope John Paul II and Pope John XXIII. There's so much to talk about, and hopefully I can kind of weave it all together and give you a coherent message. One thing I've noticed this year, every year I, I think God just kind of gives me a different thing uh, with the crucifixion, but also with the resurrection. This year, what I've noticed in regards to the resurrection is that nobody believes that he's alive. Nobody believes that he's risen from the dead. You know, we hear over and over, it says on various occasions in the Gospels, that when he appeared, they doubted. They doubted. It says even one, you know, where they were incredulous for joy. My favorite one is in Luke's Gospel, when they're all, the guys from Emmaus have just come back, and they're like, you guys, you're never going to believe what happened. We were walking on the road to Emmaus, and we saw Jesus, and they're all gathered around these two guys. And they're like, that's impossible, no way, and all of a sudden, boom, he's there. I mean, could you imagine? It says, it says they were terrified. Could you imagine that if it, your best friend, like, one night, you just left him to get beat up and killed by some criminals, like, you ran away, and then all of a sudden you were gathered in a room with some of your other friends that ran away, and he was there. And the funniest part is that he says, peace be with you. You know, and it says they were terrified. I, I, maybe I like the humanness of the apostles. I think some cuss words were uttered, and they jumped and like were terrified and ran and like hid. And then even they were like, they, it said they thought they were seeing a ghost. Because dead people don't rise from the dead. They stay dead. They're supposed to anyway. And even Thomas today, unless I touch him, unless I touch his physical body, I will not believe they wanted proof that he was alive. And we want proof, too, in our lack of faith. And I say we, I'm with you. We want proof. And I submit to you today that John Paul II, who is now a saint in the canon of the church, is proof for us that the resurrection is real. And that the power of divine life working through a little human being, just one, can change the world. A French atheist who turned Catholic, he was a journalist, and he wrote upon the election of John Paul II, this pope is not from Poland, he's from Galilee. And I think what he meant is that he is just not an ordinary man in the office of Peter, you know, taking his authority, but he is an actual living model of the living Christ. I think I, I think I did this. I coined this sweet saying about the Pope, but I'm pretty sure it's not me. Like, I'm pretty sure somebody else did in the 2,000-year tradition. There was some other Pope, and somebody said, thought, anyway. And Pope Francis, by the way, said he was the Pope of the family. And I don't want to override the Pope. Like, Pope Francis. Now, there's a lot of Popes going on today. I don't know if you noticed that. <clears throat> but I don't want to override the authority of the living Pope Francis. But I coined the term, he is the Pope of hope. Come on, that's clever. 
He's the Pope of Hope. And I think this is, I, I think that term, and you know, it just came out one day when I was speaking about him. But I think one of the reasons he was so full of hope is because it's the only thing that, like, kept him going. You guys, he had a terribly difficult life. If you haven't read George Weigel's book, Witness to Hope, <laughs> that's why George Weigel probably came up with it. He's way smarter than I am. In the, he talks about his life. You know, when he was eight years old, his mother died. The Nazis then occupied Poland, and he was forced to work in a stone quarry. Then his father died. Then while he was working in the stone quarry, this one I never knew, he got hit by a truck and almost died. Somehow survived it. Then on Black Sunday, when the Gestapo started rounding up everybody in Krakow to stop an uprising in Poland, they came to his uncle's house, and for some reason, they didn't check the basement. So he was like one of the only young people in the entire city that got out of it. And the only reason he said... When they came, he just laid down cruciform, like this, prostrate on the floor, and started praying. And they came to the door that was locked at the basement, and they just passed over it. So he gets away, he goes into, like, underground seminary. Then you have, the, you have communism, that's part of the first part of his pontificate is communism. Then he gets shot, somehow survives that. Then he gets Parkinson's, which just destroys his body till the end of his pontificate when he dies. He dies a broken man, drooling on himself for the whole world to see. And I think it's because he wanted to say, no matter what your position in life, no matter what you've experienced, don't give up. No matter if you are burdened by suffering, if you are drooling on yourself, know that you are still loved. For John Paul II, hopeless was not a word that was reconcilable with Christianity. There was no such thing as a situation which was beyond the power of Christ. Nothing. You know, I think my, one of my favorite scenes in the gospel is when Lazarus is raised from the dead. You know, when Jesus comes and it says he wept, and I think partially he wept because he was sad because his friend was dead. He, was, he hates death. He hates sin, and that's the cause of death. But I think he wept more than anything because the people didn't believe he could raise him from the dead. As if Jesus stood this and he said, oh, I guess I've finally met my match. I can't do anything here. He doesn't say that. He says, did I not tell you, if you believe, you will see the power of God. You want to talk about an awkward conversation? Imagine, imagine Lazarus and Jesus at like the dinner table. After he rose from the dead. I mean, what do you say? Like, uh, thank you. <laughs> it's a little awkward, Jesus. I don't know what to say here. But nothing is beyond him. I mean, John Paul II's whole being conveyed hope. There was something, like when you just got around him, you felt like he was saying to you, do something great because you're capable of it. That's why when you met him, people just started crying. You don't know why, but you were just crying. I cried. I'm man enough to admit it. He just did something to you. He was radiating the heart of Christ. And you could not meet him. I think this is one of his most Christ-like characteristics. You could not meet him without being changed. I submit to you today, the reason I am standing here as a priest is partially because of John Paul II. When I met him, he changed me. Because I looked at him and I said, that's greatness. That's what we're called to. And he's a man. He's human. He's not divine. 
We're capable of that. I think that he would, if he was alive today, I mean, he is alive. <laughs> Smiling down upon us. But he would say to us, let God exploit the gifts he has given to you. Let God take advantage of the gifts he has given to you. And that's applicable to everybody in this church. No matter what your station in life, no matter how much suffering you have, no matter how much pain, no matter how much glory and honor, you are not beyond the realm of sanctity. You know, greatness comes from letting our character be conformed to Christ. And that's what he did. And all of you can do it. There is no reason that everybody in this church, myself included, cannot be a saint. But we're afraid of greatness. John Paul II said, we're not afraid of our sin. We're not afraid of our weakness. We're afraid of greatness. We're afraid of greatness because of what it would cost us. I remember when I was on a retreat one time as a priest, I was in the chapel and I was reading St. Paul and like all the crazy stuff St. Paul did. And I was like, Jesus, what if I could be like St. Paul? Think about how cool that would be. And you know what he said to me? Very clearly. He said, you can. And you know what I did? You know what my response to the invitation of Christ to be a saint on the caliber of St. Paul was? You know what my response was? I got up and left the chapel. I was so freaked out. And I walked around like, how, how, I can't do this. This is too much. Jesus is holding out his hand saying, be great. I want you to be great. I want you to be a saint. And I'm like, oh man, no way. No way. Like Peter, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He's like, get up, you loser. We're going to start changing the world. Get up. Walk. And yet we shy away from it so often. You know what John Paul II would have said to me? You know what he would have said to you in this church if he was preaching here right now, right today? He would have said his famous saying, Non avete paura. Do not be afraid. He said that to the youth all the time. And at the end of his life, he showed this so perfectly. You think John Paul II was afraid of death? When he stood at that window and he couldn't talk? Because his throat was so... It was just not functioning. None of his body was functioning. And everybody watched at that window a man broken, trying to communicate and unable to. And he did it on purpose. That's why he stayed so long in his pontificate. Because he wanted to show the world. He wanted to physically manifest to the world that every human being has dignity. You think it was a, just by chance that when Terry Schiavo was, was murdered and they removed the feeding tube from her? On that day, within that week, he asked for a feeding tube. You think that was by chance? Oh, John Paul II, was a, he was a genius. He was a master of teaching. And he would have said, don't ever give up. Don't ever get discouraged. And he always called youth. He always called us. And I consider myself a youth still, by the way. 34, but I still consider myself. He would say, be great, because one man or one woman can change the world. Most people, when they get old, they get jaded. They're like, greatness is just some idea that's unachievable. I love your zeal and your excitement, but forget about it. Once real life hits, you can't do it. John Paul II would say, with God, you can do anything. You can do anything. And he would never let mediocrity like that seep into his pontificate. Finally, he taught us about mercy, which is what we celebrate. The very feast he instituted, Divine Mercy Sunday, is the feast that he is canonized on. And I think... God is trying to tell us something. Because there's so many ways in which he manifested divine mercy. He didn't just talk about it. 
He lived it. My favorite one, we all should know, is when he forgave his assassinator, the one that tried to kill him. And so many people call him Pope John Paul the Great. I think you can make an argument he should be Pope John Paul the Martyr. He was supposed to die that day. But somehow he survived it. Just like he survived the Nazis, just like he survived the communists, just like he survived getting hit by a truck, not even a bullet could stop this man. As he so famously said, one hand fired the gun and another hand guided the bullet. And then he went in and he forgave his killer. He taught us, he taught us how to forgive. How not just to talk about it, but to really do it. And even more than this, you guys, do you realize, this is incredible. I was meditating on Do you realize that he died on the vigil of Divine Mercy Sunday? Okay? But more so than that, he died on the first Saturday of the month, which is dedicated to Mary. And he died on the last day of the octave of Easter, which is dedicated to the resurrection. If we learn about a person from their death, good Lord, let us learn from John Paul II. That the resurrected Christ is real. That divine mercy is the most powerful force on this earth. And that devotion to Our Lady is necessary for every Christian. He taught us so much. It's no wonder with his example that there's a whole renewal of the priesthood, the religious life, and the church itself. John Paul II lived the words of Father Lacordaire who wrote once in reference to the priest. He said, to be a priest is to live in the midst of the world without wishing its pleasures. To be a member of each family, yet belonging to none. To share all suffering. To penetrate all secrets. To heal all wounds. To go from men to God and offer Him their prayers. And then to return from God to men and bring them hope and forgiveness. To have a heart of fire for charity and a heart of bronze for chastity. To teach and to pardon, to console and to bless. My God, what a life. And it is yours, O priest of Jesus Christ. St. John Paul II, thank you for the hope that you inspired in our hearts. Thank you for the mercy you gave to the world. And thank you for modeling the Christian life for all of us. May we, like you, never give up in the struggle that we call life. And may we believe in the depths of our bones that no matter how terrible life gets, no matter how many struggles, that with God, all things are possible.
parents and godparents, and all baptized believers. Eternal Father, by the mystery of your death, by the mystery of the death and resurrection of your Son Jesus Christ, bathe this child in Michael in light. Give him the new life of baptism and welcome him into your holy church. We pray to the Lord.